thank you for leading us in worship. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. If you're wondering who I am, I forgot to introduce myself earlier. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Bethel. So welcome. Luke chapter 5. Some of you have heard me share part of this story. So just bear with me. Um, We've lived in Alabama now for six weeks. And as of Friday, I'm an official Alabama resident because I have my driver's license. So, thank you. It's it's still still paper right now, but mine's in the mail. But one of the first things we did when we moved here is we wanted a guest room for our parents when they came to visit us. Only problem with that is we didn't have any guest furniture, so they were going to sleep on the ground. Um, so we decided to order a bedroom set, really a bed and a dresser from, a, from, a, from the internet, from a Scandinavian furniture company. And the great thing about this company, one, if you order online, it's going to come in pieces. They don't ship a full bed to your house. And the directions you could just tell were geared towards men. You say, well, how do you know that? Because there were no words on the page, just pictures. <laughs> like, that's the book I want to read. Okay. And so I remember laughing because the first thing I do is open up the, the guide. So uh, I am try to be scheduled and organized in my life. So I unpack the boxes as much as I can and I organize everything where I think it should be. So I open the directions and the first thing I see is this. There's one man by himself and above the one man is a frowny face. And then there are two men and there's a happy face. So guess which one I choose? It's me and my three-year-old. Um, so there, I, we, we chose the frowny face. And I, as I begun to, began to pray over Luke and just look at what Jesus says when he, when he looks at us and looks at his disciples and says, follow me, I begin to think this as I remember those instructions. Josh, if you're doing this by yourself, there's a frowny face above your life. Yet with Jesus Christ, we have joy. And so if you've walked in here today and you are trusting in yourself, think of those, those petty directions because you will not have joy without Jesus Christ. And do you know that the directions are true? I had more frustration doing that alone than I would have if I would have called someone to help. And you will have more frustration and difficulty in your life if you do it by yourself than if you look at Jesus Christ and said, Lord, I need you. I will follow you. Lord, I will obey you. So with that, let's look at Luke chapter five. You might know this story well. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And you say, well, I don't know that. I don't know where that body of water is. It's also called the Sea of Galilee. And saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he, that's Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. 
And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out your boat into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. Let me just pause there. What a statement of faith. Lord, we have caught nothing, but nevertheless. May we be nevertheless people. Lord, I don't understand, but nevertheless, I trust in you. And he said this, verse six, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came, they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all that were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and who were their partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's pray. Father, your words that call us into a, an obedient relationship with you still ring true thousands of years later. Lord, that the same call of obedience and faith and trust that you put on these disciples' lives, Lord, you speak that same call into our life. Lord, I thank you that we know that it only takes one look from our Savior to change our lives. Lord, the day you looked at Simon Peter and, and stepped into his boat was a day that changed his life. Lord, we need that glimpse. Lord, we need you to look down upon us. We need the salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. So Lord, look our way. Lord, call us to faith. Call us to trust. And Lord, ready our hearts this morning to follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, look with me at verse 2. Verse two says this, and this is something that, that Simon Peter will never forget in his life. And in the day I, I recognize that Jesus Christ looked into my heart is a day that will forever change me. Verse two, and saw two boats standing. So who is that person that saw? That is Jesus Christ. Now look at verse eight with me. When Simon Peter saw... So verse two, when, when Jesus saw, verse eight, when Peter saw. So what is God's word showing us here? That something special happens when Jesus looks at you. I think of number six, may the Lord be gracious to us. May his face shine upon you. That's another way of saying, Lord, look my way. So here's the truth that we see from God's word. A simple glance from the Savior will change your life. A simple glance from the Savior. Sometimes that's all we need is, is Lord, just look at me. And, and I believe there might be someone here today that you've walked in here. Maybe you were invited by a friend. Maybe you didn't really want to go to church. And you said, Lord, I feel like I have to. And you're here, here saying, Lord, my life is in shambles. I just need one glimpse from you. And it just takes one. It just takes one. Look at verse 2. 
when he saw two boats standing by the lake. Men, we get this. It's, it's not Valentine's Day anymore. But I remember Casey and I met at a football game, a Mississippi State football game. Uh, she remembers the game more than I do because she remembers that poor Mississippi State lost to Tulane that day. And the one thing that she felt in her heart was, Lord, bless them, right? I, I pity them. Um, and it wasn't, and, and at that point, it was just, this is my friend's friends, right? Hey, this is Casey, nice to meet you. But there came a point several months later that she was no longer my friend's friend. Right? So it, that first day I met her, it was, oh, Casey looked at me. And then several months later, it was, did she just look at me? Right? So there's a difference between a look and a glance. Man, are you, you following with me here, right? I'm not looking at it right now because I might be getting a different look. Right? <laughs> We've been married almost 10 years now. So I recognize that one too. Uh, but there is a, there's a moment where when you are in that courtship that it, it just takes one look. And you recognize that and, and, and you, you long for that. Now, we didn't have texting then, so we would run, you know, that, that look was through email, you know, the thing that you do on computers. And so we would, we laugh about this later because we had to run to the library to go use email. And between classes, I would be late for class because I would go check my email just to see if she sent me an email. Maybe that's one of my grades, but it was worth it, dear. It was worth it. Um, the best C I've ever made. Uh, um. But I remember, I still remember that. And she would do the same, that, that getting an email from her changed the outlook of my day. It, it just took that glance. So how much greater then is it when our Savior looks that way at us? How much greater when the Savior looks and says, Josh, you are, you are mine. I desire you. I've died for you to redeem you. It just takes one glimpse from the Savior. And Peter realized this, Simon, verse 2. He saw two boats standing by the lake. Now, how many boats did Jesus see? Verse 2, right? Two. But how many boats did Jesus get into? One. Why? Why did Jesus choose Simon's boat? Do you think Jesus said eeny, meeny, miny, mo? Their answer is our God does nothing in that manner. Our God has a God of purpose and order. Why did God get into Simon's boat? Because he was pursuing, he was pursuing Simon. And do you know the Lord does the same thing in your life? Jesus didn't just say, well, I'm just gonna die and whoever, whoever seeks me, if they, if they get it, fine. No, I believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he had me on his mind. When he got into that boat, he said, Josh, I know this is your boat and I'm gonna get into this boat because I know you need to hear about me. It just takes one glimpse from the Savior to change your life. I want you to listen to these scriptures in Luke. Luke 5, 27. After these things, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector called Levi. Now, tax collectors were the, really the scourge of the earth. They were cheats, they were liars, and worse than being liars, they had government authority to lie and take your money. So how would you like that person to come audit your, 
your house and say, by the way, you owe taxes. You say, no, I paid those. And they look at you and say, no, you don't get it. You didn't. You owe this. So they were really known as cheats and tricksters. These are people you didn't want to be associated with. And what does Jesus do in, in Luke 5? He looks at this tax collector sitting at the tax office. Now, you know CPAs, right? They are buttoned up, scheduled people. And Jesus looks at this CPA of the day and says what? Follow me. And you know what this tax collector says? He says, Lord, I will. So this man who was more than likely cheating the people out of their money, because the way it worked was Rome would say, well, you collect this amount and anything you collect over this, you get to keep. Sound like a good plan if you're a tax collector. And Jesus looks into the heart of this man. He sees him, Luke says, and then says, follow me. Luke 7, 13, Jesus sees a widow who is parading down the street with the son, the only son that has died. In Luke 7, Jesus, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. It takes one glimpse from the Savior to change your life. Luke 19, 41. Now, as Jesus draws near to Jerusalem, he sees the city and weeps over it because he knows that the city will not embrace him. But Jesus sees the city and weeps over it. And I still believe today that Jesus Christ sees your sin, sees my sin, and weeps over our sin. And he didn't just cry over that. He said, I'm going to weep because I know it takes my death on the cross to redeem you from that. It takes one glimpse from the Savior to change your life. Here's what's so beautiful about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse one, so it was as a multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake and he gets into the boat. So somehow Jesus with his supernatural ability in the neediness and the busyness of the, cloud, of the crowd passes by them and gets into the boat. Jesus has the ability to, to look past our busyness and look into our hearts and know what we need. That's how a glimpse from the Savior can change our life. You say, well, pastor, how does that, how does that change my life? Well, because some of us come to the altar of the Lord and we pray for things like this. Lord, I need to have a good day. Lord, I need more money in my bank account. Lord, protect my kids. Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me. And, and God says, Pastor, I hear you, but you don't need that. You need me to get into your boat. You need me to save you. And so the Lord has the ability to look past our busyness and our selfishness and look at our heart and say, you know what? What you need today is a boat ride. But it's not just any person in the boat is Jesus Christ. A glimpse from the Savior will change your life. If you don't believe me, believe God's word. It happens. I know it, it happened in my life. I know my life is forever changed because Christ looked into my heart and said, Pastor, you're sinful. And I said, Lord, you're right. What must I do? And he says, follow me. One glimpse from the Savior will change your life. But Lord, now what? When God looks our way, then what happens to us? Look at verse three. Jesus got into one of the boats. 
Now, this is not by chance. This is not just by happenstance. This is on purpose. And Luke tells us that one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So here's, here's the context in Luke. Now, I want you to follow me here. Here's the context. Jesus Christ sees a boat. So you're following me there, right? Whose boat is that? Simon, and Simon's profession is what? Fisherman. And this fisherman has doing, been doing what all night? Fishing. And this commercial fisherman has been fishing all night and caught, the Bible says, nothing. And what are they doing at this point? They are cleaning their trammel nets, which are nets that would fish at night. They're made of linen and they were, they were visible to the fish. So they would throw them behind the boats and they would drag them. So they're cleaning out nets that have been worthless all night. You're following me with that? And Jesus comes to these angry, privately disgruntled fishermen and says, by the way, I need your boat. Stop what you're doing. I know you're tired. I know you're ready to go home. Stop what you're doing. I need your boat. And the greatness of this story and the power of Jesus Christ, what does Simon do? Okay, let's do it. So when God looks our way, he calls us into obedience. And you might say, well, how does he do that? And, and this really, I would imagine to Peter, seems cuckoo, seems strange, seems crazy. Because what is Jesus, what is his occupation? He's a carpenter. So this man that has lived on the land goes to this man who makes his living on the sea, and he tells him how to fish. Any fishermen in, in the audience how do you feel when you haven't caught fish all day and someone that doesn't fish comes and says, have you tried that? Why don't you cast that over there? That's not going to be a warm welcome, is it? But what sometimes seems crazy to us is actually compliance for the Lord. So when God looks your way, he calls you to obey. And that begins sometimes with a simple, small test. A small test. What is this small test of obedience for Simon? Verse 2. When the Lord saw the boat standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets, then he got into one of the boats, which is Simon, and asked him to put out a little from land. Now that seems like a very small, small task, does it not? So I'm just... Can I borrow your boat and just a little from land? Often, the Lord's obedience in your life starts with small questions and small tests of your faith. Just put out a little, and maybe God is calling you to do something small. And, and you're here saying, Lord, if you want me to go across the world, I will go across the world to share the name of Jesus Christ. And what God really wants you to do is go across the street. And we say, but Lord, no. I said, anywhere. Well, just put out the boat a little from land. I didn't ask you to catch fish yet. I didn't ask you to believe yet to go out in the deep. Go a little from land. God will test your obedience in small ways. Verse 3, the command to put out a little from land, verse 3, is singular. Verse 4, the command to launch out into the deep is plural. So what starts off as a small command to Simon has now in verse 4 become a plural command for everyone there. 
Is God testing your obedience in a small way? He does. There's a famous rock star group. I'm not going to give the name. But bands will, will give a writer when they come. So if we're going to come play an event, this is what we need from you. And in this band, they had one specific request. And in the lengthy treatise that they give, it was, we want M&Ms, but we only want M&Ms without the brown M&Ms. That seems strange. I mean, rock stars, okay, so we get it. They're a little eccentric anyway. And someone finally asked, why do you do this? Why do you ask us not to put brown M&Ms there? And you know the answer? And this is a stroke of genius. This had, to, this had to have been someone that was leading that. They said, we found out this, that if the, if the company or the organization did not read the small print and obey the M&Ms, that we would have had greater difficulty. They can't get the M&Ms right. The lights, the sound, everything else would probably be off. That's their way of saying, if, you, if they couldn't obey in the small things, they can't obey in the large. God tests our obedience in small ways. If you hear saying, well, you know, Lord, I, I just don't know. Father, I, I want to I do great things. I want to speak at concerts. Father, I want to part seas. I want to do great things for you. But if you're not willing to do the small things, you might not get that chance. God calls upon us to obey in small ways. Verse five, not only is, will he test your obedience in small ways, but he tests our obedience. Verse five, Simon said to him, Master, we have toiled all night. Not only will God test your obedience in the small ways, he will test your obedience sometimes when it's not convenient for you when it's not convenient for you. Lord, I'll obey you any day except today. Oh, this is a bad day. You think you're having a bad day? What does verse five say? Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night. Lord, if there's any day that we don't want to fish anymore, if there's any day I don't want to get back into that boat, it's right now. May we not put conditions on our obedience. Lord, I'll obey you, but just let, let's let the kids get out of the house. Lord, I'll serve you, but just let me retire. Lord, I'll do this. Father, I'll give, but really let me get mine first. Lord, this is not a good time. And God calls us and says, you know what, Josh? I don't ask you to obey on your time. Peter, I know it's been a bad night but it's a really good day to follow me. Verse five, Lord, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, God not only tests our obedience sometimes when it's inconvenient, but he tests our obedience to build our trust, to build our trust. Look at the trust it takes, verse five, for Peter to say, Lord, we have caught nothing. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I think this is a nice way of Peter to say, Lord, Master, what do you know about fishing? Have you ever been there? Someone comes up to you and says, hey, why don't you try this? And, and your gut instinct is to say, well, what do you know? And yet, Peter beautifully shows us that God asks us to obey, verse five, that we may get to the point where we say, Lord, I don't know 
I don't believe, I've tried that. But verse five, nevertheless, I will trust in you. So what is your nevertheless moment? Students, some of you are close, some of you aren't. But maybe you have a heart on a school. You say, Lord, I'm going here. Maybe some of you today are saying, Lord, I'm going to Mississippi State. Maroon and white. Lord, I love those cowbells. It's like music to my ears. Sorry, I had a moment. Sorry. Um, But if we're not careful, we'll say, Lord, I'm going to do this without asking him. Lord, my dad, my grandfather, everyone I know goes to this school. But nevertheless, Lord, do you want me to? Maybe you're in a career and that's just kind of what you do. And you've forgotten to ask the Lord, Lord, is this what you want for me? Lord, I'm a fisherman, but nevertheless, Father, I know you call me to obey. Lord, it's in your time. It's in the small things. Lord, let me obey you. A glimpse of the Savior leads to a call of obedience. Not only a call to obedience, but verse 8, the Lord calls us to respond. Simon Peter saw it. That's this great catch of fish. And he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, now think about this. This is what a beautiful picture we have in Scripture. This is a fisherman seeing the greatest catch of fish he's ever seen in his life. And he's looking at this catch of fish. And yet, what does he do? What is his response to the catch of fish? Lord, I see you work in my life. And instead of falling down at the feet of the fish, he falls down at the feet of who? Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When you see Jesus for who he is, you and I have no other option than to respond in a way that recognizes him as authority and Lord. Look at the three things that Peter does here. Peter says, depart from me. Now, we don't know how this is going to happen because they're still in the boat. Is this, Lord, you jump out or I'm jumping out, but something needs to change. Why would Peter do that? Because he's recognizing that he is in the presence of the Lord God. He is in the presence of something that he probably should not be in the presence of. And when we see God for who he is, Isaiah has that moment. Ezekiel has that moment that we see, Lord, woe is me for I am undone. Lord, let me respond. When we get a glimpse from the Savior, it causes us to respond. And we see that, Lord, depart from me. There is an awareness of God's presence. Secondly, how does Peter respond? How does he call us to respond? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I don't think that Peter is listing individual transgressions or iniquities. I don't think Peter's starting to write his list and saying, Jesus, this is what I've done today. I got angry because there was no fish and I cursed. I took the Lord's name in vain. God, I got angry at my brothers in the boat. God, I've done this and this and this and this. I think Peter's just recognizing, Lord, I, I have a sinful nature and I'm a sinful man. Isaiah chapter six says it best. Lord, I am unclean. I come from a people of, Lord, of unclean lips. 
And God sent his holy angel to take a coal from the fire and said, Isaiah, if lips are your problem, I'm going to cleanse you. We respond in a way that we say, Lord, I am not holy. You are. Father, I am a sinner. And as we pray to our kids, we know that our kids have a sinful nature in them. And my prayer is when they reach the day where they understand that, that they will hit their knees before Jesus at his feet and say, Lord, I need you. And yet, what do we see from Simon? He responds in a third way. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This, this phrase, O Lord, is a recognition of authority. How do we respond to God? God, you are holy. I am not. God, I am sinful. And now you have authority. Because when we call Jesus Christ King of kings and Lord of lords, we are saying, God, you have authority. And that is something because of the fall, because we live in a broken world, we struggle with authority. Christians, you and I struggle with authority. God, I'm going to give my life to you. And then we leave here and we say, Lord, I need it back. But I'll give it back to you on Sunday. But on Mondays, it's mine. What is that? That's a struggle with authority. The same struggle that when we pray, God, I've sinned. God, I've done this. Save me from that, Lord. Forgive me from that. And then this afternoon, we struggle with the same thing that we have confessed. What is it? That's a struggle of authority saying, Lord, I give it away. Take it. When Jesus Christ looks your way, he calls you to obedience. He calls you to respond. And he also calls this way. He calls us to follow him. Verse 10. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who are partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they had brought their boats to the land. They forsook all and followed him. It's easy for us to sometimes pray, Lord, I'll follow you. I'm game. Lord, if that's what it takes for salvation... Let's do it. But do you know that the model we have in Scripture when we say, Lord, I will follow you, is found right here in verse 11, that they forsook all and followed him. Said that way, Lord, I don't want to follow you, right? God, God you're, you, might, you might call me to forsake all. Romans 6, 4, when when we follow Christ in obedience with repentance of sin and we are baptized, we are immersed under the water. Romans 6, 4 says what? That we have died to our sins and we are raised in newness of life. What is that picture of? That God, I have abandoned my life. Second Corinthians also says this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and new things have come. Forsaking, following Jesus Christ, it means that we abandon, we free fisherman terminology, you jump ship, you bail. When God calls us to follow him, that is a call to Josh, if you're going to follow me, you forsake all. 
So pastor, are you telling me I need to quit my job and just stop everything? God might not be calling you to forsake your job, but he's calling you to prioritize your life in a way that you give your job to the Savior. But it has to be to the point in our life where we say, Lord, anything is on the table. Everything. God, what school I'm going to go to, what friends I have. God, this relationship, if I'm not in a covenant relationship in marriage. God, if, if you want me to abandon this relationship because it is harmful, it leads me to sin more than it leads me to your presence. God, it's on the table. Let me abandon that. That is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And God's call on our life, even today, is a call to follow. Not only is it a call to abandon in our life, but it's a call to trust. How much trust does it take for Simon, a lifelong fisherman, that when Jesus looks at this fisherman and says, leave it, follow me, that he does. Does God not call us to the same amount of trust? That when we follow him, we also say, Lord, I trust that you know better for my life than I do. And the reason we dedicate babies is because as parents, we say, Lord, I trust that you love my kid more than I love my son. God, no matter what that means. God, I trust that you know better for my life, for my career than I do. God, I trust you do you truly trust him like he calls you to trust? Or is there something here this morning that you've been holding on to? Peter doesn't say, Lord, I'll follow you, but just let me hold, let me bring the fishing pole with me just in case. Lord, this is a good net. Let, let me bring it just in case. That's not trust. In Christ, we can't have a fallback plan. Do you completely follow him in your life? His call to follow also means a change in priorities. Verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Now, Jesus would say that because he knows Simon's afraid. From now on, you will catch men. What a change in priorities. And do you know that if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, that this is not just a call on Simon's life. Jesus Christ calls us all to be fishers of men. And if you're working at the hardware store, that you are called to be a light in that place. If you're working at the bank, that you are called to be a light. If you're a tax collector, Jesus can look at you and say, follow me. He's done it once, he'll do it again. There is no one here today that is outside the view of our Savior. And the graciousness of, graciousness of our Lord is that it just takes one glimpse. So are you prepared for the Lord to work in your life? I really believe that every time God's word is preached, that we are called to obey. So first, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the call from the scriptures this morning is this. Do you fully obey God? And it doesn't begin with the large things and work back. God often begins with the small things. So is there something small you're holding on to? Well, Lord, this is, you know, 
I really like this. This is comfortable. This is convenient. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a hang up. Maybe it's a hurt. Maybe you say, Lord, I'm not going to get involved in church again because I've been hurt. How much more hurt was it when our Savior was nailed to a cross? And by the way, if you, if you want the stories of people who've been hurt by churches, pastors and staff on a church will tell you, look, if being hurt in a church is grounds for leaving and not coming back, we would have been gone a long time ago. But any times I get my feelings hurt, I think about, Lord, how many times do you look at my sin and weep? Lord, who am I to not obey you in the small things? Maybe you're here and you struggle with trust. Maybe you're like I am and you're a scheduled, organized person. That when you break open, you're not the typical person. When you break open that box, you, you organize all the material. And you say, Lord, I'll trust you if I see the plan. And God says, Josh, I didn't ask you that. Josh, actually, I don't need your plan for your life because I have a greater plan. So maybe you're here that you struggle with trust. You say, Lord, I'll follow if you just give me the plan. Or I need to see. And God says, no, you don't get it. You trust me because I have seen you, not because you see me. So I just challenge you that you'll spend some time this morning wrestling with the Lord, saying, Lord, I trust you. Father, I've been fishing, I've been toiling all night, but nevertheless, Lord, this morning is my nevertheless moment. I don't understand, God, it sounds crazy, but I trust in you. Oh, Lord, I am a sinner. Depart from me. But maybe you're here and you have never once felt like God has looked your way. And maybe today is that day where God has looked at your heart and, and you have recognized your sin and you have had that Simon Peter moment where you say, oh, Lord, this is not good. I am not in a place I should be. I just want you to know that you were created in God's image for relationship. And because you and I sin, that relationship is broken. So that oh no moment, when Simon kneels down and says, Lord, depart from me, that is a recognition that God, my relationship is broken because of my sin and I don't know where to go. But Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose three days later. And the Bible over and over again uses these words, if you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Simon, use that word, Jesus, you have authority. I believe who you say you are and I trust you. You will be saved. So how do we do that? If, you're, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know, you can deal with God right where you sit. You don't need me. You don't need mom, dad. You don't need any other pastor. This is a relationship between you and God and he knows your sin. And when he knew your sin, he sent his son to die for the sin he knows about. He died for the sins you don't know about. So I'm gonna ask you just to spend some time with God this morning. Say, Lord, I need to trust you. I'm gonna do it right here, right now. Let's pray.